much for joining us. This is Unlock You with Dr. Shannon Crawford. I'm a clinical psychologist, leadership consultant, and a really big fan of you getting to fulfill your life purpose. I want you to get unstuck and unlock your potential relationally, emotionally, spiritually, and vocationally. Thanks for joining us and let's get started. Hey everybody, welcome to Unlock You with Dr. Shannon Crawford. And today I have the rare privilege of meeting one of my anointing crushes, Donna De Silva. She is a pastor at Bethel Church. Her husband, which I hope to interview as well, he has been the CFO. Is that right? Uh, for Bethel Church for many years. Uh, she is one of the founders of Sozo, the inner healing model, saved, healed, and delivered. Um, and I was introduced to Sozo in 2009 as a psychologist to say, hey, there is another thing you want to put in your tool belt. And Sozo is it. So I was trained way long time ago, like 2009-ish. And I've been integrating it for years as a psychologist. I've gone through it myself. Uh, shout out to to Wiley Church or Church Summit Church in Wiley, Texas. Uh, Pastor Randy, I just adore you guys. And I want to just give you an opportunity to get to know Donna De Silva. And I've told her like a thousand times, but her teaching on shifting spiritual atmospheres is so pivotal. She has many more, uh, but that one in particular has really been a nugget that I've been able to use in my own life and share with a lot of my clients and leadership consulting individuals that go into large corporate settings and just recognizing there's a spiritual atmosphere that you're walking into and we don't need to carry shame or heaviness or navel gaze for too long. There's some stuff Jesus does want to work on. And then there's some stuff you're just walking into an atmosphere and having the discernment and the tools to know what to do is so key. So Donna, thank you for being on this episode. Yep. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. So as we chatted before, uh, what are some of the things if somebody was sitting in front of you and they were having coffee and saying, I'm just st stuck. Like, I don't know why I don't know where to go. And I just feel like I don't even know where to start. What would be some things you would start that conversation with? I think I would find out why they're stuck. Like what Give me, like I would say, give me some parameters. Of course, if you're having coffee, they're holding, you know, they're giving their heart out to you. And <laughs> yeah. so you're like, you know, um, are you not hearing God? Because that's an issue because um, we, we have the ability to hear God. And if we can hear him, then we can solve most of our problems. Right. Mm -hmm. So if, um, if you're having trouble with that, or maybe you hear God, but you're stuck in a pattern, maybe of cycles. Um, yeah. yeah, I would just kind of try to hone in on exactly what the issue is. And then I would say, okay, you either need this, this, or this. And I, you know, one of the first things I would do is <laughs> probably put my hand on them and go, <laughs> God, you know, God, what do you want them to know? And then, you yeah. know, go from there, but yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So let's say that they're just having a hard time hearing God. It's just silent and they don't even know how to hear him or if the voice they're hearing is even accurate. What would yeah. we do? Well, you know, depending, cause I just kind of, I'm one of those boundary busters, you know, I just kind of <laughs> go over the boundary. And so I would look around in the coffee shop and see, is anyone watching? And then I'd go, okay, ask, ask Jesus this, close your eyes. You know, I would just do something like that right away and go, Jesus, is there a lion believing about you? Mm. And people here, I mean, yeah. they'd be like, he's telling me this or that, you know? So, <laughs> 
And we tell people, please don't sozo in coffee shops, but you know, we talk, <laughs> we pray, you know, you can do five minute prayers with people, but it yeah. is a little vulnerable when they open their eyes and people are looking at them. But sure. yeah, it's kind of that. Let's get to the root of this thing yes. right away. What's going on inside. Yeah. And for anybody listening, I want you to know it doesn't have to be hard and it doesn't have to be long. That could be one of the core beliefs you're believing is that you're broken, that God's really far away. I'm saying these as lies, everybody. Um, and that this is, has to be a really hard, long journey. The reason we're doing this podcast is to put tools in your hands so that you know what to do when you get stuck. And then you're at a crossroads and you're like, okay, I can either give in to shame and defeat and apathy and just say, well, this is just my life. God does it for everybody else, but not for me. Or you can pivot and say, okay, because of Unlock You podcast and Donna De Silva's talk, I'm now confident that I can either reach out to somebody who can help me pray and get you know, unlocked and figure out what lie I'm believing. Um, and then also do the father ladder. I think that would be really fun if people could know about that resource as well. Yeah. So in the Sozo ministry, we frame Sozo with two different tools. One is called the four doors and that's the access that we've opened up or was opened up for us um, in situations with sin. And so the four doors are sexual sin, the occult fear and hatred. And um, so that's one of the doors. The other thing we frame Sozo's with is what we call the father ladder, which has made Sozo so easy. And what is, which is what most therapists like about our thing is the father ladder. And so what we find is, you know, without going into all the scriptural references is that um, how our earthly family um, treated us or how we perceived even, you know, our earthly family actually tends to put a, a skew on how we view God. And so if your father was cold and distant, it's it's difficult sometimes for us to go to a father God who we think is just going to be cold or distant. And, you know, Jesus is the siblings and friends and the Holy Spirit is a lot of times how we view our mom. Now, people are like, oh, you're saying the Holy Spirit's a woman. No, 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 we're not doing that. We're saying that the Holy Spirit is the nurturer. He's the comforter. He's the teacher, you know, and who gets all the why questions when your kids are little? Why? Why? It doesn't go to dad. It goes to mom, mommy, why? Mommy, why? You know, because we're the teachers when they're little. And, and so the correlation, if you have a, a, a mom that continues to tell you everything you've done wrong, why would you want to go to the Holy Spirit to be told all the things you've done wrong? Yeah. So it is phenomenal. So what do we do? What's the lie I'm believing about you? And people will just start sobbing because they're like, he says that I believe this. And we know as Sozo people where that came from. Right. Yeah. So we just go straight to, well, I forgive my mom for being judgmental and critical or for the, the skew I've had, mm -hmm. you know, because maybe the parents weren't that way, but you saw it that way and it hurt your heart. And yeah, yeah it's phenomenal. That's so good. And I think a lot of people who may be even leaders in the church themselves, I've, I've worked with pastors, elders, deacons. I've worked with people that have attended church their entire life. And we don't even realize we might have some of those lies because they are so automaticity, right? It's an unconscious bias or a template that's created. And I don't know that I'm operating on that. So how would somebody realize that maybe they're believing a lie and start asking the question like, Lord, Am I believing any lies besides just asking? I mean, what would be some fruit? Yeah. Well, a couple of things I joke about with people. I'm like, um, one of the ways you find out the skews or the colored lenses, the lies, you know, you see through is by reading the word of God. Cause we're like, I tell people, if you read the word and don't believe it, 
one of you is wrong. <laughs> it is probably not the word, right? And so if, if we hear that Jesus pardons all your iniquities and we're like, okay, thank God I'm set free. He heals all your diseases. Oh, but I don't think he's going to heal me. Then you're believing a lie. So Lord, where did I learn the lie that you don't want to heal today? Or, you know, whatever those lies could be in that situation. The other way is community. And community shows us our belief systems because people will tell you something and you're like, no way. There's no way that that can be true. And it blow, testimonies blow your mind because you're like, well, he actually still does that today. And living in community and iron sharpening iron, yeah. you know, where you're like, I see it this way. And then having people that hold you accountable. I've been in meetings where I'm like feeling attacked. And I'll walk out of the meeting and ask a really good friend, how did you experience that meeting? Mm. And they're like, it was awesome. Like, really? Because I, I felt completely attacked. And they're like, yeah, you didn't see that through the right lens. Okay, Lord, where did I learn that? Yeah, yeah. And I think there's a lot of us that we assume, right? Read, mind read. And so the brain will fill in heuristics, which are just those mental shortcuts. And so without realizing it and without walking in community to have someone uh, fact-checked me, um, I'm not going to be able to see clearly because we all have blind spots. And that great analogy is even on the optic nerve, we literally have blind spots in our physical organ of our eyeball, but then it goes through and it hits the thalamus, the relay station. And so based on our past experience, the thalamus is sitting right next to the hippocampus, long-term memory, big uh, life experience stuff, classical conditioning. And then on the right is the amygdala, uh, which is the fear and aggression center. And so that's where we get more offended, more upset. I feel misunderstood. So for any of you who are looking in your life and you're seeing patterns in your relationships with God, with your loved ones, with your community, with your church, and if are at work as well, and if you're just always the victim in the narrative, you may want to check is there a blind spot? And then ask with humility that somebody feels safe to give you the feedback. Sometimes we can be a little uncomfortable for people to give us feedback um, to just check. Am I doing anything that there's kind of a pattern there? Because we can be so convinced, which is called mind reading, that I don't even ask the question. I just assume that it's true. And I think what she's telling us is so wise to just slow down, can, you know, compare it to scripture, compare it to relationship, and then start looking at patterns across your relationships, because I only have one of me. So if I take me to all my relationships and I keep getting the same results, I can either be the victim and stay entrenched in that, or I can say, Lord, I don't have to live like this. I can do a little sozo on myself right now. I am not the victim. I break off that lie that I am uh, disempowered. You know, for many people in their relationship with the Lord, it feels like God is Zeus and he's far away and distant and um, emotionally cold. Uh, I think they're one of the analogies that was given was Abraham Lincoln statue. And so he's not tender and sweet. And for me, I saw God like Godzilla, like he was going to smash everything and destroy it. And if I wanted, he was taking it away. And it was so heartbreaking to know that it was actually not my father. It was another authority figure in my life that the Lord was showing me. I was projecting that onto him. And so he's like, would you take me out of the box that you've constructed and then take yourself out of the box that you constructed of seeing our relationship through that paradigm. And so for anybody who's listening, what would be some ways that you would help them get stuck if they're um, 
really just filtering God inaccurately. Like, you know, they could use scripture, you know, very caustic and negative or uh, relationships feel very negative. And uh, when they do talk to God, it just feels like he's distant and cold. What would you give feedback for them? Forgiveness is the key. It's absolutely the key because forgiveness is me saying, I want out of prison. Matthew 18 tells us that if you don't forgive, God locks you in prison. And for for victims, that's even worse because they're like, oh my gosh, we're locked away. But you have the key to your prison cell. Mm -hmm. You just need to forgive. And so even if you're not sure why, Yeah. You know, it's like, God, I see you as angry, but the people around me don't see you as angry. So God, where did I learn that lie? Where did I find that lie? And then as soon as you see it, and like you said, it could be a male pastor, a male teacher, a grandfather, an uncle, you know, in that place, it's like, oh, that's where I see that I forgive this person Mm -hmm. for misrepresenting Father God. And I renounce the lie that that's who you are. The other thing that's helpful is if you're afraid of Father God, get to Jesus Mm -hmm. and ask him to take you to his father. Mm. You know, one of my favorite stories in the Sozo book that we have here is we were doing a a training and this, this guy with big tats and muscles everywhere came up. He was part, he had to come because it was part of their um, weekend and he became my catcher, you know, so people are standing in line and I'm praying. So he'll catch them if the Holy spirit falls. Right. And I'm thinking, man, he's going to be a great catcher. He's so big and no one will get around him. And he starts to cry as I'm, and then he, his shoulders start to shake and he's closing his eyes. And I'm like, okay, wait a minute. And they gave, they give me somebody else. Cause I think he's not going to catch anymore. And when we're done, I go over to him and I said, what's going on? He says, Oh, I've got this Jesus guy down. We are like this close. We are so buddies. He said, and after this weekend, I even understand this Holy spirit thing. He says, but I cannot understand father God. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm looking at him and I don't know why, but I just guess I had this sense. And I said, but you can see Jesus. He goes, Oh yeah. He says, when I close my eyes, he's right here. We're buddies. And I said, ask him this, say, Jesus, would you take me to your father? And he said, Jesus, would you take me to, and he went like this. And I leaned in and I said, father, God will never strike you. And this big burly man hits the ground, curls up is this, this, this sob that's coming out of him, this groan. And I'm thinking, okay. So I get down. I said, is this a good cry or a bad cry? (laughs) He says, father, God is holding me. Yeah. So <laughs> one of my favorite stories of an orphan to sonship it's yes. like because of the abuse of his father mm-hmm. he was terrified to go through jesus to the father my husband coined the phrase yeah. stepping through the door of jesus because we stand at jesus because somehow we allowed him into our life whether our siblings were good or not but we stop there and say i'm good here because this guy over here he scares me but Jesus came to show you the father. Yes. So good. So good. So for somebody who, cause I mean, anybody could listen to this, maybe even unbelievers or people who've just kind of attended church ish. What would you say for somebody who's a, like trying to understand the Trinity, like this whole concept that there's father relationship, Jesus relationship, Holy spirit relationship. If that sounds kind of complicated, how would you kind of make it more simple? Well, I think that God instituted family to show us this. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you have a father, a mother. I mean, you know, people don't know I don't. Well, actually, you're born, you know, so you had a father and a mother. The fact that one of them isn't in your life doesn't mean you actually didn't have one. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we have a father, mother and us. 
And then we have siblings, hopefully, and our and friends. So I think he instituted family to give us an idea that we are incorporated in that place. And Mm -hmm. besides that, you know, he's triune. So we are made in his image. We have a triune nature. Mm -hmm. We have our our bodies, our soul and our spirit, the soul, Mm -hmm. the mind, will and emotions. And so, you know, for those of us that know what happens to our body um, can be separate from what happens to our soul, the belief system, our heart, and what happens in the spirit realm can affect us differently. So, I mean, that's probably even more complicated than that was great. (laughs) everybody else says, well, there's an apple and you have the skin on the apple and then you have the meat and then you have the core. But I mean, I just think let's get right into it. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. So in psychoanalysis, we would talk about, you have new insight. So you're renewing the mind, which is a little bit more of like a cognitive behavioral. If I were to parallel the psychology world, and then the psychoanalysis talks about the corrective experience that you're actually using relationship to heal relationship wounds. And my experience is when we stay, especially in the church, when we stay in our head and we have really good theology, and sometimes people can fight to the death on a theology point, but they have no experience of it. And it makes me think of that verse that says knowledge puffs up while love builds up. And sometimes we can get so convinced of something that again, a heuristic is a mental shortcut that my brain goes, oh no, I already know that. I already know that I'm good. And I don't need to encounter that. So for somebody who maybe is listening to this and going, oh, I already know all this, like, yeah, but then maybe they need an experience relationally with humans, community, Father God, Jesus, Holy Spirit themselves. What would you say to that argument of, I already know that? You know, my husband would say, cause we've, he works with financial sozo. He works with people with money and, you know, he would say that, um, technique will never overcome belief. Come on that at some point you will self-sabotage and go back to the the belief system. And so I would just look at, you know, I already know that. Okay. But is there any bad fruit on your tree? You know, because if I already know that, then I, and, and I'm following God, I shouldn't have bad fruit on my tree. Mm -hmm. And um, I love that scripture, you know, it's funny, obviously I'm, you know, I'm not smart like you guys, but here I I break that off in Jesus name. No, I don't have the schooling you guys have. Let's just do that. (laughs) But I love the fact that science is proving the word of God Yes, because, you know, when Jesus was 2000 years ago, pointing to a tree saying, you can't get bad fruit from a good tree and you can't get good fruit from a bad tree. And he's like, make that tree good. And now we can actually film the brain. And what does it look like? It looks like a tree Yeah, because you have the, the roots, the stem, right. And, and it's like, oh, so God is saying, make this tree good. So anytime I have bad fruit, it's coming from a bad tree. And we, my husband says the church, we become great fruit pickers. Like, Oh, where did that come from? Oh, I can't believe that's there. Where is that from? And my husband's like, I know exactly where that came from. It came from a bad tree. And so I don't believe in staring at myself and evaluating myself. How am I doing? Because I want to look at God. If I look at him, I know how I'm doing in comparison but I'm not afraid to evaluate the fruit that pops on my tree. It's good. And if it's bad fruit, I have a bad tree. I've got to fix the mindset then. And then I just go into social tools. Where did that come from? Where did I learn that lie? Why, you know, that thing is popping out because somewhere in my heart, maybe usually as a little kid, 
something hurt my heart and it went into that tender soil. Mm -hmm. And then over the years I've watered it or people have watered it and hurt me more. And it's become stiff and wooden as my husband would say, and it becomes this tree trunk and bark, you know, when it's really little, it can be pulled out so easy, but when you're you know, older and it's like, you have your judgments attached to it. You have your, I'm going to die over that truth. You know, it's <laughs> a lot harder to pull it out. And so we have to go to where, where did I learn it? What's the lie and what's the truth and, and change our mind, take Absolutely. out the truth. Yes. So good. So good. Um, and I would love for us to even parallel. So we have the conscious mind where I think I believe that, but then we also have the affective or the heart level. So maybe we could even consider that you have a second brain or a second uh, reason center that back in the day with the philosophers, they used to think that that was the region before we knew there was an organic brain up in the head. Um, but now we're actually coming back full circle and realizing, oh, the heart actually does have um, kind of like a brain or a center of control and reasoning. So when the Lord talks about a bitter root defiles many, that if you've realized that there's uh, rough relationships and things just are not working out, and sometimes you're just critical and this cynical thing just kind of comes out of you. And no matter how much you're like, oh, I'm sorry, Lord, I'm sorry. It would be better to maybe go to that root system here, renewing your mind, but also going to the heart where maybe your emotions and your experiences have kind of gotten lodged in there. And we need to clean that out. And I remember one time I went through a terrible breakup. I was super betrayed. And I love the Lord, but I was just, I need a minute like this. I'm really angry and I'm not acting Christian right now. Right. And so I just read this quick little article that said about a bitter root and asking Jesus to take it out. And so I'm thinking I have to pray and fast and contend. And I'm thinking it's going to be so hard because I'm this like really bitter person. Like I took on an identity based on that. And so I just bent my head down and I'm like, Lord, would you take the bitter root out of my heart? And it left. And I was like, I'm not bitter anymore. Like it literally just left. And I had renewed my mind so much, which is good. And it's important. It's half of it. But that other half of actually letting Jesus into those places and then visualizing him coming in and standing in the gap and repenting on behalf of the betrayal person so that then there's healing and there's ministry and there's a salve that then he can now plant a new tree of righteousness that's based on forgiveness, that those who've been forgiven much love much. And so it just changed that paradigm in the narrative I even told myself and others about the situation. So when somebody is dealing with some bitterness or some pain or some things that are inside, uh, what are some um, tips or advice or something that you would talk to them about? Well, still, you know, for me, it's like, let's go to God. Let's ask the question, you know, God, this hurts. Let's be real. I mean, God, this hurt my heart. You know, that, that jerk, you know, yes. what was he thinking? You know, he's yeah. like, what's he doing over there? Um, and you know, it's so God, it hurts. So we be real. I mean, God, God knows it hurts, you know? And so let's not just lock off that emotion, but it's like, you know, I've heard someone, and this might not be right, but I heard someone say, you know, emotions are real, but they're not telling you the truth. Right. That's so you know, and so it's like, you know, let's not just say, oh, this doesn't hurt. Say, no, this really hurts. Yes. And I'm interpreting it this way. Yeah. So Lord, how do you, what do you, what should I do? And many times in Sozo's, well, not many times, but sometimes in Sozo's God will give a truth. And it's like, it's the right answer. You're like, yeah, you got that in exchange. And they're not happy about it. Mm -hmm. And you're like, 
I don't think you believe. She goes, yeah, I want to believe that that's true, but my heart doesn't believe that's true. So then we just find out more. So God, why isn't my heart resisting this truth? Well, then there's something deeper down inside of, well, see, I'm just not lovable. That's why this person left me. And there's a deeper root. So it's like, okay, so then God, where did I learn I'm not lovable? So now it's no longer about this person's rejection. It's about the first time I was ever rejected. And then Jesus, you know, I renounce the lie, you'll reject me, you know, and just going through those situations. That's so good. That's so good. Because many times um, we may have that head knowledge again, like we talked about before, but we need to let God into pain. And I just sense as you're talking, there may be some of you listening that your parents weren't maybe emotionally very available. And so they maybe helped you with your homework or they provided correction or guidance in other areas, but they didn't really know how to steward your emotions. And so I just want to remind you that God made your emotions. He's not overwhelmed by your anger and your rage and your cussing and whatever you need to get out. He's not overwhelmed by your panic and you're scared and you're overwhelmed or you're sad and despair. The key is bringing it into relationship. So with my clients, I'm always telling them, Crying is fantastic as long as it's going into a relationship, but alone crying will lead to despair and depression. And now that's to clarify, I could have somebody hug me and still feel alone, like the limp noodle, like I'm not really receiving. And that would be the key. And so you can have Jesus always there with a rose and he is at the door knocking and he is like, I am here to hug you and walk you through this journey. But if we go, no, I'm good. I'm okay. And I'm going to write a whole book about our codependent relationship with the Lord, where we show him all the good sides. And then we deny and um, block all those other sides of us. And I used to tell the Lord, don't worry, God, I'll fix this. Don't worry. I won't, I won't feel like that anymore. Don't worry, Lord. I won't sin again. As if I, the stress and responsibility was on me instead of using his strength. I didn't know it was available because, you know, my family had, you know, so much they had passed down and blah, blah, blah. And they did the absolute best they could, but especially for emotions with a lot of families, they don't know to steward that. And so then that's an easy way that we project onto God that he is like, well, once you get your emotions cleared away and then we'll do the other stuff and we'll get back on track, but he is so okay with you screaming and crying and yelling, cussing, like whatever you need to do. He is the safest person to bring the full measure of your heart, your emotions, whatever you're experiencing. He will hug you and embrace you in the middle of your mess where you feel so unlovely and terrible and sinful. And then he'll clean things up. But at first he will meet you in that place of pain to restore that experience that he loves all of you, not just the good performing, achieving sides of you. I think that's so awesome. I think it's interesting that, you know, looking back at getting saved, right? Jesus found us in sin, (laughs) right? He found us in our mopey place. He found us. And then we become Christians and we think, oh, now we have to get, and we do have to clean up. We do need to conform to the image of Christ. So I'm not taking away from that, but then we think, oh, I need to hide this place from him. And it's like, he found you then he'll find you now. It's like, you know, we, we need, and actually that's the place you're real. Right. That's the place where your shields are down and he can actually point to and go and you're like, ah, ah," you know, that's where it is. But that's where he's able to go. Okay, now that you're hurting, let's look at this place. Now that your facade isn't up, you know, let's actually look in this place where you're hurting and where you feel. And, you know, let's get down to what you have hidden 
you know, behind there. And let's, and cause those are the places that bring the truth to the front, right? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It needs to be brought into the light. The enemy works in the dark. The Lord works in the light. James one says we're a double-minded man because you do have two operating systems. And so when you're keeping something hidden, while you think you're taking something off his plate, I hear that lie a lot that God's busy. He's got people starving in Africa. He's got the government to deal with. Other people have worse issues than me. And that's so um, minute in your thinking to not imagine the bigness, the grandeur, the amazingness of God, that he has plenty of time for you. So an easy lie some of you might need to reject right now is that God is like your parents who were busy or preoccupied or multitasking and didn't have the time to just sit and focus on you for as long as you need. I remember the day that I heard the Lord say, I will sit with you for years on this issue. I don't have a time frame for you to fix this and solve this. Because again, I was trying so hard to please and perform and do it right that I was exhausted trying to do it quickly instead of letting him go at the pace he knew my soul and my heart actually needed. I think of a story with my youngest son. He struggled you know, with um concentration. And I would say, Timmy, look here, look here. And I can remember he would come up to me and I would be busy doing something else. And one time he went, mommy, look here, <laughs> look here. You know? And sometimes I think, you know, it's Jesus. Look here. Come on, Jesus. Just, just look here. You know, and he is, he's looking here, but sometimes we don't, we think he's distracted and it's like, no, you just need to look because he's right there, you know? So good. So good. Okay. So with the rest of our time, can we talk about the four doors? Because that may be new to a lot of people who've never heard about those. Right. So the four doors are, it comes from Pablo Batari in Argentina. And it was the 10 steps to freedom where he would talk about, we have open doors of access to the enemy. And so if you look at, for me, any area in your life where you believe a lie is an open door to the enemy. Okay. But he's talking about sin in your life. And um, I don't know that it was, we were trained about those doors being open, but if you were molested or raped as a child, you didn't open the door to sexual sin, but it came in and your door is open. Okay. And um, yes, God, when you get saved, yes, he comes in. But if we don't close those doors, there's still that lie down inside or that owie down inside, or even the atmosphere of mm -hmm. um, I can be harmed, you know, and I'm afraid and, yeah. you know, all this stuff. So the doors can be open for you. And yeah. unfortunately, um, and we just had a situation, we were doing testimonies today where um, a young man had struggled so bad in his life and he'd gone through so horrendous things. And um, the Lord said, he said, where do we need to go? And the Lord reminded him that his mom, when he was in the womb, mm -hmm. had dedicated him to Satan. And so when they broke that, it just broke everything off this guy. He was like, I totally feel it. I feel like, and it, he didn't open that door, but that would be the occult door. So there's the occult door. So let me um, pause the, you because people yeah. might hear occult and think, oh, that's not me. I mean, no, I'm not a witch. I don't do those things. What are some ways that door could get open and we not even realize it? Well, do you know <laughs> that manipulation in scripture is called as of witchcraft. Yeah. And so there's a lot of times where we manipulate to get our way. And that's witchcraft. Okay. So we have tarot cards, you know, we have, 
um, Ouija boards, we have all of the new age practices and stuff. And so, you know, there's so much of the cold now, if you know, there's Santeria, if you're in the Hispanic places and over in um, Africa, where the demons are, you know, exhibitionists, there's all kinds of stuff that go on there. In yeah. America, the demons keep reserved back yeah. here. You know? Yeah, hiding. <laughs> so how about people who've done astrology or uh, talk about your sign? What are your thoughts on that? Because it's so normal in our culture. Yeah, it is the occult. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it may or may not have stuck on you if it was something like, well, you know, I know I'm a Gemini, right? I mean, it's just, you're told that I'm, I was born in June and Gemini, but it doesn't mean anything to me. It's like, oh, well, that's just what someone thinks, you know, but I was born in June. Okay. So that doesn't, it's not stuck on me. Mm-hmm. I grew up in martial arts. Um, I've had deliverance. So, okay, we'll just leave it there. <laughs> um, and so there's so much that we need to just pay attention to, but I'm not going to be religious about all of it. And for anybody who's listening and you feel weird or fear, we don't want you to feel fear, but we do want you to be wise. Wise as a serpent, gentle as a dove is a Bible verse. And so we're just living in this place of abundance. And part of abundance is just cleaning out some weeds, some things that we might be picking up and that are normal in culture. Like um, a friend of mine told me in Dallas the other night that she saw advertisements for just like a cute Valentine, like come sip on champagne and we'll read your palm and we'll have this like nice person give you some cute books that are like astrology and it's just like adorable. And then we'll like match you as a couple and tell you, you like your little things about your personality and it's all based on new age. And so she felt the Lord just call her to go down there and not be weird, but she just prayed under her breath, just protection over people because she just saw like, they're like lambs to the slaughter. Like they don't know. And so that's just really heartbreaking that for all of us, we could accidentally be opening doors and have no idea. And so it's just wisdom. So I don't want you to feel scared. I don't want you to be afraid or become like religious, but just this sense of like, Hey Lord, is there anything in my life that you would recommend that maybe I start closing that door? And maybe it's, you know, a lot of times the enemy comes like helpful, you know, like an angel of light, like new age and Wicca, they're like considered helpful and they're nice and they do nice things for people. But in reality, there's a spirit behind that. That's actually allowed into your life as well as the other person that you're trying to help. So we can have good motives, but it doesn't always uh, translate into good in that person's life or your own. Um, so what are the other doors, Donna? So, um, you know, because it was in, it was in Argentina, the, the, the titles can be pretty strong, you know, so one of them is fear, but one is hatred. And, you know, I can remember when I would go to Mexico on missions trips and they go, Hey, gordita, you know, like, Hey, fat lady, you know, come over here, you know? And, but that to them was just kind of endearing. And I'm like, you would never say to me, Hey, fatty, come over here. Right. Um, And so when we use the word hatred for the door, we kept the, the, categories, but we don't ask anyone, is there anyone you hate? Because we're good Christians. No, we don't hate. (laughs) So basically, Lord, is there anyone I need to forgive? Yeah. Because if I, if I don't, if I have unforgiveness, I have hatred. And I remember, you know, many times Bill Johnson and all the people's like, um, they would say, you know, that, well, let me go back to scripture says, Jesus says, you know, if you say to your, your friend Raka, you've already sinned, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I remember Bill saying the other day, which it just made sense to me. And he said that bitterness is the spirit of murder in diapers. Oh, 
<laughs> and I went, I finally get why Jesus made this because it's, yeah. it's, you know, and you know, he's true because it's Jesus, but I never sure. quite made the leap as to that, but it's like, Oh, so my bitterness is actually, if I don't take care of it, it actually becomes killing, stealing and destroying, which is the enemy. Yeah. So, um, so again, in America, you wouldn't say, is there anyone you hate? Cause, Oh no, we don't hate. <laughs> and then fear is a huge door. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, the number one tactic of the enemy is fear. Mm-hmm. And the number one way he brings fear is lies. Mm-hmm. And so we have to get rid of the lies to get yeah. rid of the fear yeah. and, um, hatred. I already said that a sexual sin mm-hmm. is another Absolutely. one of those doors, which Absolutely. can be open for you or which is sad, but it's mm-hmm. there and you need to close it and you close it through forgiveness mm-hmm. or you open it yourself and you repent. Yeah. Absolutely. And it can even be in your generational line. So it may not have been something you lived through, but it may have been something that's just kind of inherited and passed down, just like DNA or anything else. Things can get passed down that maybe you didn't open. Um, And that would also include maybe pornography or seeing things that just kind of open that door. And Song of Solomon says, don't awaken love before it so desires that there's a maturity. And so right now in our culture, they're trying to push the um, agenda to have children expose to sexuality at a really young age, which is very naive and a lack of empirical research and understanding of the development of children because they need a latency period. During latency where sexuality is not introduced, children develop self-esteem and they're active and they're competitive and they learn how to relate with boys and girls in a non-sexualized objectifying way that you're my pal, you're my buddy and we go run and we compete. Those are developmental milestones that it's kind of like broccoli compared to introducing sexuality. That's like ice cream. And of course they're going to, I mean, you teach a child something, they're going to now replicate it. They're going to play it because that's how they understand. Adults are very linear and language-based. And so it's naive as adults to think we can educate a child in something and they're not going to play it because that's how they actually learn. So now they're going to play on themselves and on their friends and their neighbors and their siblings um, and other people are going to play on them. And so that is not healthy. It awakens something that psychologically they're not mature enough to steward. And so there's immediately thoughts of feelings of shame and bad and dirty and used. And now I need to hide something no matter how much the agenda is, we're going to make it super public. And uh, some families even do sexual things in front of their kids because they think they're taking all the shame away because we're being so helpful and enlightened research consistently shows children need latency they need their innocence preserved so all the other psychological components can develop and not be exposed to pornography not be exposed to books or people dressing inappropriately or images or things on youtube or tv or wherever else they're seeing these images because it doesn't have to be straight pornography anymore just so much of our media is hypersexualized and when children are creating a heuristic a mental shortcut their brain will naturally take the images they're seeing So if you say, uh, hey, this four-legged animal is a doggy, now they're going to put all doggies together um, and say, oh, the pony and the cow, those are all doggies because they have one little framework. So if you introduce a female and it's sexualized, now there's a sexualized image of a female and we look at the hate crimes against females because when there's a desire and dopamine is released toward a sexual act, even for children, it is the same physiological component 
that now there's a aggression, like I want this and you're not giving it to me. So adults and children have an impulse toward hurting females when they have been introduced to a sexual object that they don't get to complete the act. And so now you're creating this like tension and um, misogyny toward women when we're supposed to be so enlightened and pro-female and all this movement and we're doing the opposite. We're actually wounding females. And I would say the same for men. A lot of men have tender hearts and are actually really good, but they've been primed in this culture of you have to have conquest and you're not a man if you're not a virgin and all of these ugly messages that are sending um, wounds and lies and opening doors in people's souls that then that door gets open. And I've seen it a lot in people's uh, sexuality and the choices they make because of a culture, not just individuals. We're now at a state that our culture Culture is uh, transforming so rapidly that our young generation is really being exposed to something psychologically and developmentally that's inappropriate. And we don't know the long-term consequences of how much this is going to impact people. Brilliant. 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 Love it. Love it. Um, um, wow. That I, I have no, I, it's just crazy to think, you know, and I'm just going to put on here, you know, um, now they're talking about um, that all preschool is now going to be paid for. And I'm like, as a mom, it's like, yay. But in the other sense, my brain is like, oh, so we can teach our children even younger sexuality. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, I don't want my kids to know. I mean, uh, when I was in, in high school, I avoided every sexual class. Mm -hmm. I never had to take it. I snuck out of it in all these different ways because I was in different classes. And I, I think they just never figured it out because I'm like, which is funny. I don't struggle with sexual sin. Oh, My family wasn't sexual. Yeah. Um, I didn't have to learn about it, you know, and I, I grew up, like you're saying, I grew up, a lot of my friends were guys. Mm -hmm. I didn't think about having yeah. sex with them. I was yeah. just like, wow. I mean, you know, my, I had brothers, you know, and it wasn't inappropriate. And so, you know, I didn't grow up with this wrong view of it. And to be honest, I, I can't, I can't watch shows with junior high humor, you know, and my boys will be like, mom, it was so funny. You can't watch it, you know, because <laughs> anything that has a crude feeling to it, I yeah. feel the, the attack in the spirit realm. Yeah. Um, and, you know, think about the movies, 50 shades of gray. Are you kidding me? We're going to take a virgin girl and we're going to liberate her through all this sexuality. And I'm like, are you kidding me? This is absolutely ludicrous that our world is allowing this to be taunted as, oh, wow, yeah. 50 shades of gray. So Isn't this awesome? Yeah. When in wow. reality, that is domestic abuse. It is so abuse. And those ladies will be in our rooms getting yeah. help. <laughs> yeah. Like that, those people end up in my office because I will tell you very clearly that I have worked with people who saw that movie and they're like, Hey, that's a good idea. And they get involved in a yucky community that promotes that. And now I'm seeing them on the trauma side because it's still not good to be abused in any capacity. No. Yes, it releases more endorphins. And in the moment, your body may have a lot of responses. It may hit the dopamine reward pathway, but I have never seen somebody come out of that emotionally healthy, psychologically well. That doesn't exist because what you're doing is going against the very nature of how we're wired for attachment. And so now you're perverting it into a stress response, which increases anxieties, phobias, health conditions. You're more likely to get uh, this very high um, acceleration of excitement and then a base of depression afterward. And then that creates the addiction cycle where you think you need that relationship or that encounter again in order to satisfy that. 
And I remember um, my pastor was saying that you don't want to get used to certain things being your stimulation because like, let's say it's an affair or it's an illicit relationship. You're now conditioning your body to no longer respond at an appropriate sexual encounter in a healthy relationship that's covenanted. But now it's like, oh, I need that extra thing. And it just twists stuff. And, it, and you need to know psychologically, neurochemically, there are changes you're doing in your body. And now people come out with more trauma, more depression, more anxiety attachment issues because they, I mean, I actually literally had a couple come and they were in an open relationship. And so they were involved in these kinds of activities. And then they're like, we don't know why we're having a hard time connecting uh, emotionally. <laughs> like, uh, well, you're one abusing each other. And two, you're opening yourself to lots of other people. And of course that's going to produce some insecurity and attachment issues, which spikes people's cortisol. And that leads to adrenal fatigue. And then that leads to wanting to self-medicate. And then I need something to make me feel better. I mean, the cycle goes on and on, but if you put good looking people on a film and they do it and that's modeling social cognitive modeling, and then now I'm hearing at the gym, I live in like a cute little quaint neighborhood in Texas and all these women at the gym, when that movie came out, they're like, you know, dainty housewives and like, oh my gosh, I love that movie. I love that book. Oh my gosh, blah, blah, blah. And of course they're not going to try that. Right. But it's wetting an appetite. And it's creating an atmosphere where before you know it, your bland covenant marriage just seems kind of boring instead of preparing yourself to anticipate what is sweet and what is good and what is wholesome. Now we're creating an appetite for something that then people did actually start introducing it when they swore they wouldn't, but then normal married sex seemed boring compared to X. And so that's a big thing in our culture right now that we need to be addressing. Oh my gosh. Pornography is, is absolutely horrendously tearing apart our, our world. Yes. Um, and you know, it's like you get, you start with this and then it is, then you need more and then you yeah. need more and then you need Insatiable. more. And so, you know, I, when you, when 50 shades of gray came out and it was like touted as liberation, I thought, where's the more, where are we going to go more with this? I mean, it's going to be snuff films is going to be the next thing that's going to be taunted as, oh, this is amazing. Because once you get that need, you need more, you need more. And that's what sin is, right? Yeah. So sin is the, and, and, and sinning gets you in this cycle of this inability to actually um, take care of the need because you need more, you need more, you need more. Yeah. Whereas with Christ, you know, it's everything is right there. And it's yeah. like, oh, okay, Lord, this is sufficient. Yeah. So, you know, I just, whoa, I just think right now, Lord, that there's, there's people watching that men and women that are like, okay, I see this. I see where pornography has, has moved me away from what you were saying, the innocence of sexuality in a husband and wife. And we just say, number one, shame go. And number two, if that's you just take a moment and say, Jesus, I ask you to forgive me that I opened a door to fantasy and this fantasy spirit and this, this bait that has hooked me and moved me further and further away from the sanctity and safety of this marital relationship. And I, I turn my heart. I renounce that. I break agreement with it. I break agreement with sin. I ask you to close the door and I turn my heart back to my spouse. Thank you, Jesus. And I I say to my brain, to all the chemicals, to everything in my body, that proper marital sex is exciting. Yes. Out all the junk the world tells us it needs to have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
So good. So good. Yeah. I was feeling like people may be starting to feel condemned or hopeless. And so I just love that you sense that, that we want to be so mindful of those who are listening, that you are precious to be joining us for the episodes. And so this is never a place where you're going to receive judgment. And if you do, it's not coming from us, right? That might be some of the lies you're believing and misfiltering. My heart is never to judge you. I know that Donna's is absolutely never, ever, ever to walk in shame or condemnation, but to just say, Hey, here's some things that may be keeping doors open and you can try like a hamster on a wheel to get free with willpower alone. But if you don't get to those roots and you don't close those doors and get those lies out and forgive and heal, then your life is going to be defeated. And you're not going to experience the abundant life that Jesus died to give you. And that's our goal is that you get to live in abundance. And so by just doing these things, you can start cleaning out a lot of that access. So you can experience the fruit of the spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And many people in my office are wondering, why don't I have that? What's wrong with me? Instead of going, oh, there might be some doors open and not in a mean judgmental way, but just in a clarifying and just like there's a law of gravity. I just can't walk off a tall building. I'm so sorry that that's just part of reality as I live with gravity. Uh, these are also spiritual laws, principles that are in place. And so the last one that I felt like is I do hear a lot of people say, I hate that politician. Mm -hmm. And so when we're talking about the door of hate, um, that, that one, sometimes people feel very comfortable and mm -hmm. these are far away people that we don't, we don't meet right necessarily. Maybe some of you do. Um, but that's not my sphere of influence at this point in my life. And so I can hear people, um, have very strong judgments. That person is blah, 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 um, on all political spectrums. This is not pointing to any particular, um, but that's also another area of bitterness, unforgiveness, resentment, judgment, hate. And so we do want to clear that out as well. And so the more that we listen to any news, any media, their narrative is to get clickbait. They want you to keep listening. And a big part of that is they release all this junk inside your body because then it's like rage and dissatisfaction. I need to do something and they're doing that or my party is better than theirs, which is another form of pride. And so it's just cultivating yucky stuff. Not that we don't need to be informed with the news media by any mean, means, but you do need to be aware of how is it impacting the condition of your heart? Am I able to love and intercede for that person that I don't agree with? Or do I feel this self-righteous importance that uh, by me being angry at them, I am somehow helping the political situation in our country because you're not, that's not helping. <laughs> it's not changing anything by you becoming bitter and resentful and angry. So as you're listening and you've kind of cleared out some of these doors. Uh, Donna, would you lead us in maybe even just cleaning out some of the political spirit of how we've given ourselves permission to hate people if we don't agree with them politically? Yeah, so I'm going to take it from a different side on that. Yeah. I totally agree with you. But, you know, one of the, this is, you know, one of the books I wrote was Overcoming Fear. And what I found is a lot of times when we hate or a lot of times when we're angry is because we're afraid. Yes. And so we, we, we don't want to say we're afraid. So we, we protect ourselves with rage or we protect ourselves with getting louder because our voice doesn't seem to matter. And so really what I want to do in that place is I just want us to take a moment and ask Jesus, Jesus, does my voice count? Mm 
Mm. You know, Jesus, are you hearing my prayer? Because some of us are wondering, <laughs> what are you doing? You know, what's going on here? Yeah. And other people are like real excited, you know, because God's doing the right thing with different, you know, situations. But I think a lot of people on both sides of this are afraid. Yeah. And so Papa, I ask, I just repent for any way that I have put on anger to feel justified or to feel powerful against fear. And I think that is really the issue. So, you know, if, if that's been you, I would just let anger go and just say, you know, God, anger's not going to help me against fear. So God, take this fear of where I think the world's going or, you know, COVID or whatever is happening, Lord, take that fear so that I don't have a place for anger to reside. Mm. That's good. That's so good. I love it. So what she did is she went to the hot emotion, which is the makes me feel safe. And she went to that soft underbelly, that vulnerable emotion. So if you think of yourself like a porcupine, many of us bow up and we put up our little quills to feel safe. But if we just stay there, we're missing the second half of being able to go to the vulnerable places where I feel like I don't have a voice. I feel scared. I feel overwhelmed. I'm starting to go into catastrophizing where I'm anticipating where this is going to go. And Jesus isn't there. Jesus is right here. And so of course it looks really scary and overwhelming when you do that. But if you're like, Hey, Jesus, what's my role for today? Thank you for showing me. I have a voice. Thank you for showing me that you do care about me and that this life isn't my hope. And that doesn't mean we just check out and we don't do anything, but I'm not putting my hope in a government or in a political party. I'm putting my hope in my best friend, Jesus. And then asking, is there something you want me to do as a diligent citizen? Some of you may be called into politics, whether at a municipal level, at a state level, at the federal level. Awesome. Do it. If you're called to intercede for politicians, if you're called to donate or help run campaigns. One of my dear friends um, at eight years old, when he was hearing Ronald Reagan get uh, sworn in as president, he just knew in his little kid heart, I am called not to be a politician, but to be the person that helps godly politicians get into office. So there's many ways you may be a solution in Esther in our time, but the key is not having it out of a heart of retaliation, anger, fear, hate, but really saying, Hey, Jesus, you're really smart. And you really only need one person to change a whole government structure. I'm available. Do you want me to do anything to be a part of what you're doing instead of running ahead in presumption? Cause God's not doing anything and it didn't turn out the way I expected or vice versa. It is turning out the way I expected. Um, whatever your political leaning is, I love you. I adore you. This is not to cause us to fight over politics, but to just say, make sure you are a part of the solution by cleaning out your heart so that you can be available to help bring the kingdom into your neighborhood, into your, um, your state and into your federal. And even if you're in a different country as well, many of you are going to listen internationally. And so I just adore you. And I'm grateful uh, for the time that you've given us today so that we can invest into helping you get unlocked. Thank you, Donna De Silva, for your time. You are a blessing. You're so fun. And you guys, she had the cutest um, uh, converse when we were at the conference together. And I was like, Ooh, she likes fashion. Okay. We're going to be friends. <laughs> um, so how can people connect with Sozo with any of your books, your resources, everything? I mean, you're all over the place. 
Right. Well, the number one way is just to go to DonnaDeSilva.com. I'm sure you'll put it on there because mm-hmm. it's spelled differently. Um, BethelSozo.com. I also have a shifting atmosphere iPhone and Android app. And so if people are wanting to practice on that, um, which I tell them you need to practice, then you can go there as well. But yeah, tons. I've got I've got books, you know, my I've got books, written books. Oh, my God. Um, so has books. Can yeah, you tell us yeah. the titles? Yeah. OK, so. So I have prayers, declarations, and strategies, 90 days of um, declarations um, for whatever you need, overcoming fear, uh, supernatural strategy. And I really go into God did not give you a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. And what's false power, what's false love, and what's false um, discernment, you know, and, and how that when those are out of order, um, my office copy of my Sozo, this is awesome for walking you through your own issues mm-hmm. um, because it's like getting your own Sozo going through it. And most of these have questions and answers. So you can do it as a group. Shifting atmospheres is the one you were talking about. And, you know, how to discern what's going on around you. And then my very last one that I've done is warring with wisdom. Ooh, come on. And it's teaching us, you know, what, what is the enemy targeting? Is it our body, our soul, our spirit? And depending on that, how do we actually prepare ourselves for the battle? What tools do we use? And um, where do we war from? Where's our authority? Yeah, I, I'm having the time of my life. So great. Yeah. So that's another lie. Being Christian is boring or dull or hard. She's having the time of her life. And this morning I sozoed myself and the Lord showed me a lie that I believed business was hard. And I found out his, he told me business doesn't have to be hard. It could be like art where it doesn't always like turn out the way you expect. And you may have to do another layer and you may have to call ADP back for the hundredth time, but it is like art. It will turn out beautiful. And I felt such a shift today since deciding business is not hard. Christianity does not have to be hard. There is a grace for it. And once you clean these uh, roots out, once you close these doors and you're doing the things that Donna is recommending and getting her resources, Christianity can be really fun and you can actually really enjoy your life. It doesn't have to be terrible. Like many of us have been told. So thank you, Donna, for your time. And thank you everybody for listening. We love you so much and we'll see you for the next episode. Hey friends, thanks for listening. We would love for you to get plugged in with the Unlock You community. So follow the links below and stay up to date with upcoming content, events, and groups. We are here to invest in you and tailor episodes around your interests. Post comments, and hey, if there are any specific topics you'd like to hear about, let us know so we can strategically build content that is meaningful to you. And will you share this podcast so we can invest into more amazing people? Be sure to hit subscribe so we can see you for the next episode.